Welcome to the Healthy, Wealthy, and Smart Podcast. Each week, we interview the best and brightest in physical therapy, wellness, and entrepreneurship. We give you cutting-edge information you need to live your best life, healthy, wealthy, and smart. The information in this podcast is for entertainment purposes only and should not be used as personalized medical advice. And now, here's your host, Dr. Karen Litzy. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. I am your host, Karen Litzy, and today's episode is brought to you by NetHealth. So when it comes to boosting your clinic's online visibility, reputation, and increasing referrals... NetHealth's digital marketing solutions has the tools you need to beat the competition. They know you want your clinic to get found, get chosen, and definitely get those five-star reviews on Google. They have a fun new offer. If you sign up and complete a marketing audit to learn how digital marketing solutions can help your clinic win, they will buy lunch for your office. If you're already using NetHealth Private Practice EMR, be sure to ask about its new integration. Head over to nethealth.com forward slash L-I-T-Z-Y to sign up for your complimentary marketing audit. And it's great. I use it and it works. So I highly recommend it. Now on to today's episode. So I'm really, really happy to have Dr. David Lagerstead on the episode today. And we are talking about monitoring and responding to load injuries on the knee. So Dr. Lagerstadt is a tenured associate professor at the University of Sciences and director of the BTE Laboratory. He graduated with a Bachelor of Science degree in Health and Human Performance from the University of Montana and a Master of Arts degree in Exercise Physiology from the University of North Carolina. He earned a Master's degree in Physical Therapy from East Carolina University and a doctorate in the Interdisciplinary Program of Biomechanics and Movement Science from the University of Delaware. He has been a practicing rehabilitation specialist for over 25 years, is board certified in sports physical therapy. He has presented his research on knee disorders at national and international conferences and has published in high-impact sports medicine journals on ACL injuries. He co-authored several clinical practice guidelines on knee disorders. His goal is to improve the implementation of clinical research into practical and accessible uh, make it practical and accessible for all clinicians. So yeah, so today we're talking about a new paper uh, that he co-authored, the effects, the effects of M response to mechanical loading of the knee. It's a great paper. You can go to podcast.healthywealthysmart.com to find a link to the paper. And a big thanks to Dr. Lagerstedt for breaking it down for us. And everyone enjoy today's episode. Hey, David, welcome to the podcast. I'm happy to have you on. Thank you for having me. Yeah, and I'm excited today. We're going to talk about a new paper that you are co-author on that came out on, to be very precise, October 20th of 2021, and it's the effects and response to mechanical loading on the knee. So of course, my first question, and I'm sure this is the first question everyone asks you, is why write this paper? What is the why behind it? You know, as a as a clinician, as well as somebody who is now in academia, I've always kind of had this question myself, you know, what kind of loads are on the knee? And I've always had this, you know, concern about dosing and trying to figure out like how to can, we can best dose exercise around the knee. And as I, as I really started to think about this more, uh, really started to find that um, there hasn't been any um, review or any kind of clinical commentary kind of brings 
at least the concept of mechanical loading kind of in one place. And the knee is always a good model because it does seem to have a lot of a lot of research around it. And it's an area I'm familiar with um, because of my work in, in ACLs. And so um, I we, you know, we just started started thinking about okay, how can we best talk about what kind of loads are being placed on the knee? And and some of it kind of kind of um, came out of some conversations I had with another colleague of mine, where we've really started to talk about um, the use of inertial measurement units and how those can start to give at least some general indications of what loads are occurring through the lower extremity. And so we decided to just kind of put a team together of people who were, had expertise in, in loading and then expertise on specific structures related to the knee. And so that's kind of how it kind of came together. And when we're talking about loading of the knee, so in this, we're in this paper, you know, you're talking about mechanical loading. So let's, let's go with some more definitions here. So what is mechanical loading and why is it important in, in respect to the knee? We'll stick to the knee. Yeah. So, you know, in the paper, we, we really described mechanical loading. This is the physical forces that um, act on or create a demand on the body, either at the Simpsons level or even on structures at a specific organ or tissue level. And so if you think about mechanical loading, you can kind of subdivide it into different variables, such as like the magnitude of the load or how long the load is being applied, how frequent it might be applied, or even maybe the direction or the nature of that load. So uh, so when we think about loading, the, all those components kind of interact, can interact with one another and um, then create different loading patterns that can impact, again, the knee as, as the organ itself or specific structures within the knee. And when we're talking about loading, I think most people think of loads as external. So something that we are placing on that knee. But there are external loads and there are internal loads. Can you kind of differentiate those for the listeners and how and why are both important? Yeah. So when we think about, you know, external loads, we kind of think about it as like really kind of that work that's being performed. So like, how far did I run today or how high did I jump? So when we think about like, like that, it's almost it's almost kind of like the outcome in, in, in essence when we think about external load. But when we think about internal load, you can either think about what, what's the physiological process that's going on inside the body related, potentially related to the external load, or maybe even the psychological, and again, maybe even that biomechanical response um, to that external load. So, so usually when we think about internal load, it's like, you know, how, what, you know, what is your heart rate doing related to how far you run or what is the extra or what's the uh, amount of stress that's being placed on the knee after you land from a jump. Yeah. So, so both are important, especially when it comes to knee injuries and uh, loading injuries. So let's talk about what are some of the common loading injuries on the knee? Yeah. So if you think about some of those different types of loads, um, you can kind of really subdivide them at least at the knee to kind of 
three major categories in essence, um, whether it's a, a compressive load, a shear load, or a, you know, a, a tensile load that occurs. There's some other loads that can occur, such as some hydrostatic pressure loads, but the primary ones are, are really related to that. And so then if you break that down into specific structures, such as a ligament, you know, like the ACL, which is one of the more common injuries that occur at the knee, you know, that's usually related to some kind of um, tensile load that's occurring on that ligament. It can occur either from, you know, cyclical loading where you can continue to put stress on that ligament until that ligament ultimately fails. But usually it's one, usually large load that occurs that relates in, you know, a traumatic tear. Mm -hmm. So that's probably an example of kind of one of the more common ones, but, you know, we, you know, we commonly see other tissues damaged, you know, the meniscus is another common injury. Um, and that's usually, again, that's really related more to some compressive with shear load. And then, you know, uh, cartilage also kind of was kind of relies on, um, a, a shear load to, to, to be damaged. So, um, all those different loads occur on the knee. It just, sometimes it depends on, again, all those other variables that we talked about, you know, the nature of it or the compressive versus the shear versus the tensile load. But then again, how quickly does it occur? Maybe at what angle your knee is bent at can impact all those types of things. Yeah, I, I would think angle, speed, fatigue levels, hydration levels, you know, all of that, I, I can only imagine goes into uh, a type of injury from one of these loads. Right. And you think, you know, and if you think about, you know, again, you have that, that external load, but then, you know, think about some of the other internal loads, you know, the muscles around the joint contracting to um, maybe unload the knee at a specific time because you know we have you know you've seen many athletes it's like they cut and pivot thousands of times in a career why is it that one certain time they do the exact same maneuver they've done a thousand times before their ligament tears or their meniscus tears so there's there's so many other underlying factors that lead to it um and so part of this paper is at least trying to describe some of those things so people have an understanding of what are the underlying loads that can, can lead to an injury. But then what can we do after that? How can we use those exact same parameters, those same loading parameters to rehabilitate them? Because the same, a lot of the same stresses that cause the injury also are some of the st same stresses that you can use to rehabilitate the injury. Right. And I would think have to use to rehabilitate yeah. the injury. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. So, the, so they, so they can adapt to that stress and be ready to handle the stress the next time it occurs. Exactly. Exactly. And now what, one of the figures we were talking before we went on the air uh, within this paper is figure four. So for everyone who is listening to this, we'll leave a link to the paper <laughs> in the show notes. But when you go through, you'll see there's one figure, it's figure four, it's a conceptual model of loading of the knee. And it's like a monster of a figure, like it is 
It's large. It looks very intimidating and very complicated. So can you break it down for us? Yeah. So this is how, you know, uh, we started to think about taking a lot of these other models that have been out there that have described, you know, maybe the physical stress model or um, many people have commented on the, um, on the dye model <clears throat> related to the envelope of function and also the uh, dynamic recursive model related to injury. Probably the, <clears throat> is the best one, the best way to describe it. But you got to take into all those factors that can influence or just leave somebody susceptible to an injury, as well as including this, their underlying physiology. And again, that could just be related to those non-modifiable factors, such mm -hmm. as your age and your sex. Um, and then again, your underlying physiology, you know, your genetic makeup, um, maybe even just some kind of a little bit of your underlying fitness level. And then what are some things that can predispose that tissue to injury? And again, it could be, you know, do you have a strong tissue or a weaker tissue? Does the, you know, do you have certain types of muscle fibers, you know, that can influence again, things like fatigue. And then what are the external factors that lead into it? So some of these models have already been kind of described in the ACL related literature, you know, you know, shoe to surface interactions, um, whether that occurs out there, um, is, is it turf versus grass? So those types of things can all potentially influence an injury. And then, um, you know, moving into the next part, then you just think about the mechanical load. So again, all those factors related to magnitude and duration and frequency. And then we wanted to, to kind of, um, try to articulate that again, if we took, you know, just conceptually took it as looking at each of the different major structures in the knee that could be impacted. And then talked about how those tissues respond to some kind of um, stress and strain. So, you know, if you put it, um, again, that load under a specific type of compressive versus shear strain, how does it respond to that? And uh, William Thompson did a really nice review in PTJ a couple of, of years ago, looking at some of the mechanotherapy, mechanobiology that occurs at specific uh, tissues that Karim Khan had kind of initially proposed um, back, God, 10 years ago or so. And then if you take all those things into account and the stresses and strains, so then you start to look at how that impacts how the tissue adapts to those stresses and strains. And, you know, using kind of the fitness model or the fitness fatigue model is, is if you apply the right stresses at the right time and you do that consistently over time, it basically builds up and the tissues adapt to it and it gets stronger and fitter. But if you don't do it or you do it at a delayed time, it may stay at a homeostatic level. Or then if you do it too infrequently or the loads are too much, too frequent, then you can actually fatigue the, the tissues. 
And of course, if you get too much fatigue and you get the a right amount of load placed on it, then that can result in injury. Mm-hmm. And then you kind of go and through, you go rehab through it again and go through it again. Um, and again, that's part of the rehab process is taking all those things into account. And so that's how we try to really try to conceptualize it and think about, you know, and so we really kind of focused more on the, the tissue levels and the response to injury um, and how you can use that kind of this conceptual model of kind of stress and strain along mm-hmm. with those other factors too. I think it's important to note that we're not only talking about ligaments or meniscus. When we're talking about the tissues around the knee, ligaments, meniscus, tendon, articular cartilage, bone, it's not just, we're not just talking about ACL 10, uh, ligament. Right. You, you know what I mean? There's, there's, right. it's, it's really the, all the structures that's that make up that knee joint. Correct. Correct. Yeah. And I mean, I think that's even the, a, a really important point too. Like when we're rehabbing, you know, somebody and, you know, you, you take somebody with a meniscus tear, not only are you impacting the meniscus that you're working on, you're also impacting a lot of the other structures around it. And so you can um, influence the, all that rehab or that rehab impacts all those tissues, depending on how you're mm-hmm. providing a specific load. Right. Absolutely. And, you know, one of the, the words that's in that figure is tissue capacity. And so during the rehab process, um, certainly after injury, but even let's say without injury, right. I think one of the goals is to always improve tissue capacity. So can you kind of talk about what exactly that means? What that, what does tissue capacity mean? And as physical therapists, what, where do we stand in the improvement of that capacity? And on that note, we'll take a quick break to hear from our sponsor and be right back. When it comes to boosting your clinic's online visibility, reputation, and increasing referrals, NetHealth's digital marketing solutions has the tools you need to beat the competition. They know you want your clinic to get found, get chosen, and definitely get those five-star reviews on Google. NetHealth is a fun new offer. If you sign up and complete a marketing audit to learn how digital marketing solutions can help your clinic win, they will buy lunch for your office. If you're already using NetHealth Private Practice EMR, be sure to ask about its new integration. Head over to nethealth.com forward slash L-I-T-Z-Y to sign up for your complimentary marketing audit. Kind of in a, in a general layman's turn, you think about just tissue capacities it's all related to the under, I think sometimes to the underlying tasks that's being performed, right? You can have a certain level of tissue capacity that it allows you to, to walk or run. The tissue can meet the demands of that load placed on, placed on the body by that specific task, right? But if the task is too high or the Uh, load is too high relative to what the tissue can handle, the tissue then just doesn't have the capacity to handle that load. And again, it may be able to handle that load one or two times, but over a repeated um, bout, it may fail much quicker. And so I think sometimes tissue capacity is, it's also related to the task that's being performed. You know, most of us have enough tissue capacity to to walk community levels and things like that. But 
you know, we might not have the tissue capacity to run a 10K, even though that we may have the underlying structure that we could build up to that. I think those are the things you have to take into account. And from a rehab perspective, you know, you always have to think about kind of that starting point of what people can handle and then how, how you can adjust the rehab process to um, improve that capacity over time. So that, that leads into what are some ways we can monitor load and respond to that load? So we're the therapists, we're taking care of uh, our patients. How can we monitor and, and, and change that load as necessary? Yeah. So, so from, you know, a clinician standpoint, you know, most of us probably in the clinic, you know, we don't have high tech equipment, like global GPS units or inertial measurement units to, to measure, um, acceleration and, um, you know, how far people have gone, um, a certain amount of distance that they've walked or jogged or done that whole thing. Like you have seen with some of the devices like catapult or, or, um, uh, I measure use IMU units. Um, but I think from a, a, a clinician standpoint, we still have a lot of great tools that I think are, that we still underutilize to some degree. So, um, you know, I, I always like to tell my students, um, that you really are kind of trying to look at how the joint is reacting to the, to the loads that you're placing on it. And, uh, are you making the tissues more irritable or less irritable? Measuring irritability is probably the best way to describe it. And, and the knee, you know, you can see things like, you know, increased swelling, you know, um, which is a, a common, probably a common measurement to see for, for um, increased irritability. But it can also be, you know, is the joint getting sore versus the muscle getting sore, right? And so trying to um, be very clear um, with um, the person you're working with is, you know, does it hurt inside the knee or is it just hurt in the muscles around the knee? Because we'd expect to see some muscle soreness if you're working those, right? But you don't want the, you know, the irritation to be in the knee. Um, so those are probably the two major, major, major ones that I like to use. But um, you can also look as, you know, do, did they have a sudden decrease in their range of motion, you know, which could be an impactor, uh, you know, a factor of them having some irritability, has their strength gone down, which is probably a little bit harder to assess more consistently. But those are probably the major things I would consider looking at is if you're starting to see some of those it means the tissues become a little bit more irritated. But if you don't see those, then, you know, the next, you know, maybe the next session, the next couple sessions, you can start to slowly increase the load a little bit um, and see how they respond. And I think that's always the challenging part. Like I, I like to challenge my students with is, but that's one of the great things about being a therapist too, is we get to see them again and see how they respond to our treatments and we can regress or progress them as needed. Yeah. And, and I think that's a really great thing that you said at the end, we can regress or progress as needed. So if someone, if you give someone some 
exercise or some loading and they come back with like an angry knee, it doesn't mean stop everything and go back to passive range of motion. It means, okay, let's just take it down a notch, but continue. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think one of the, the last one I meant should have mentioned is, you know, just even just asking how they feel, Mm -hmm. you know, how do you, how, how do you, how does it feel today? Can give a, a lot of information then you can use things like, you know, a session RPE schedule, you know, scale, say, okay, your knee's a little bit angry. Let's back it. Let's back your exercise session down to a three today, instead of working at a seven. Mm-hmm. So you can still do something, still keep the knee moving, still keep it kind of moving forward, but you've kind of backed off and, and gave it a little bit time to, to calm down. Yeah. So it's, it's sort of this combination of what you're seeing objectively and then asking them how novel, yeah. what a novel idea. <laughs> Ask them yeah. how you're doing. Are you having trouble? Hey, the other day you were doing stairs really well. And now you're having trouble doing stairs, you know, some of these functional day-to-day things as yeah, well. Exactly. I mean, I think, like you said, those are just really simple tools. I think we, we get so focused on, you know, what we like to call the objective data instead of just asking people, how do you feel today? Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. absolutely. And now how can we, and I say myself, we, I'm a clinician. Mm-hmm. How can, how can we clinicians use the information in this paper to start applying load to a re to the rehabilitation of an injured knee or a yeah. post-surgical knee or what, however you want to categorize. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, as, as we were talking before, there's a, there's a, there's a lot of data in this, in this paper too, that, that clinicians can, I think can use. And so I don't want them to get overwhelmed with all the numbers in the, in the data, but uh, it's really there to be as a, as a resource for clinicians to say, okay, I have somebody who has a, a pretty irritable knee and these are the activities that we we're doing before you know, and we can get a sense of, okay, that, that activity, you know, was, you know, three times body weight. I need to find an activity that's maybe two times body weight. Um, so we can regress them a little bit. And this is an activity that kind of fits that, or this was an activity that put this amount of stress on the ligament. Um, we know that that stress is still within a safe range to, to, push it a little bit to the next level Mm -hmm. Uh, because, you know, um, I think some of the, some of the fear is, is that if we're putting um, stress on the ligament that we're going to injure it or even on any tissue. Right. But as we know that, especially after the initial inflammatory phase, you need to start putting a little bit of stress on the healing tissues because that's how tissue gets stronger is that, it has to respond to stress. But if you're putting, you know, if you're putting safe and I'll put an air quote, safe, safe stresses or stresses that are below kind of the, the below the failure rate and you're monitoring the need for those inappropriate responses, then you can use that information to slowly progress them through a rehab safely and adequately the healing structure to the kind of into the uh, next level of repair. One of the tables, we talked about this again, before we came on was table seven. 
uh, within this paper where you have some activities where it's like, this is like you said, maybe it's 1.4 times body weight, or this is 20 times body weight, or this is eight times body weight. And I think that's a really nice guide for clinicians, but I think it's also a really great educational tool for the patient. Mm-hmm. So you can show this to the, cause most patients get it. I think a lot of times we underestimate our patient's ability yeah. to understand yeah. um, a lot of these concepts, you know? And, and so I think if we can say to the patient, Hey, listen, this is X amount, your body weight, this activity is less than that. And let's say you're a month out of like some sort of surgical procedure. Hey, let's go with the one that's less times body weight than this. Yep. And, and cause people will say, well, what's the big deal? It seems like it would be fine. But I I love that because I think it's a great way for clinicians to use the paper also as a great educational opportunity. Yeah. No, and I think that's a that's a really valid point is it I think if uh, we can educate the patients on, you know, these are the activities that you should be doing right now. And as you strong get stronger and get better, then you can move into these activities the next time. Right. And so uh, they're always asking. Patients are always asking, like, what can I do now? What can I do now? And so, you know, this table can give them some insight of, okay, this is where you're at. These are the things that you can start doing now. And these are the things that probably should wait a little bit longer. I think that uh, the patient will really understand the why behind your giving them the exercises that you're giving them. Yep. And that's really important because if people understand the why, then maybe they're more likely to do it. Yeah. And follow through. Yep. So, I mean, I think it's great. I think this paper is great. Um, Is there anything that we didn't touch upon in the paper, uh, the process of doing this paper that you would like to share before we start to wrap things up? No, you know, I'd I'd really like to, you know, first of all, thank my co-authors who were willing to, to sit down and write this. It was it was no small feat, you know, pulling together clinicians from around the world to, to, to do this. And so, you know, definitely want to, you know, thank Torin McLeod, Brian Hirescheidt, Jay Ebert, um, Tim Gabbett, and Brian Eckenrode for, for agreeing to do this. You know, this, like I said, this was a, a paper that had been mulling around in my head probably since I was in PT school, you know, for a long time. And, you know, this just felt like the opportune time to, to, to pull it together. And fortunately, you know, in the last several years, last 20 years or so, we have, we have the data now to, to support a lot of the things that we do as physical therapists that I think intuitively we've always done, but I think now that we can, we can uh, demonstrate a lot of what we do and some of the, uh, the value that we bring to, to rehabilitation and to, to patients and to, to clients. Yeah. And, and I, I mean, I like this paper from a rehab standpoint, but I think it's also really great from a strength and conditioning standpoint, right? Cause as physical therapists, we don't have to just be the people there when the, uh, athlete or the person is injured. We can also be the person that helps to keep them strong and, and kind of improve, especially in, I know in a lot of professional settings, you've got strength and conditioning coaches and athletic trainers and PTs, but for the average physical therapist, like if you're in a small town, 
maybe you're it. <laughs> yeah, you're doing it all. Yeah. You know? So I think this paper is really helpful, not only to progress people after injury, but to kind of look and say, hey, this is the load that we can place on you that will hopefully help to decrease your chances of getting injured. Yeah. So I I appreciate that in this paper. And now where can people find you? And like I said, we will have a link to the paper in the show notes, but where can people find you if they have questions of you specifically? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm fairly active on Twitter. And so that's primary, my primary uh, social media um, outlet. So you can find me. It's um, Dave log PT. You know, if there's any questions or anything like that, that's probably the best, best way to reach me is either directly through DMS or, or through my Twitter feed. Perfect. And now before we wrap things up, I have one more question and it's the question I ask everyone is knowing where you are in your life and in your career, what advice would you give to yourself? Let's say as a new grad right out of PT school, I would probably, I would say at that early stage advice actually was given to me before is don't always don't say no, always say yes to opportunities. Um, especially in that, um, that early career that, uh, if an opportunity comes along, take it, it may, it may not be the perfect opportunity. It may not be what you, uh, dreamed of, but it, uh, more likely or not will, um, be of, of value to you. And many times it's a huge stepping stone. I would say, you know, an opportunity comes along, say yes, especially when you're young. <laughs> yes, yes. Young and full of energy. Um, I think that's great advice. So listen, David, thank you so much for coming on the podcast, breaking down this paper. It's a great paper. So congratulations on that. Um, so thank you for coming on. Yeah, thank you. Anytime. And everyone, thanks so much for listening. Have a great couple of days and stay healthy, wealthy and smart. And a big thank you to Dr. David Lagerstadt for coming on the program and talking all about load parameters around the knee joint. And of course, a big thank you to NetHealth. So again, their digital digital marketing solutions can help your clinic win by allowing you to get found, get chosen, and get those five-star reviews on Google. They have a new offer. If you sign up and complete a marketing on it to learn how digital marketing solutions can help your clinic win, they'll buy lunch for your office Head over to nethealth.com forward slash L-I-T-Z-Y to sign up for your complimentary marketing audit today. Thank you for listening and please subscribe to the podcast at podcast.healthywealthysmart.com. And don't forget to follow us on social media.